0: Hey, welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. You can learn more about Youth Pastor Theologian online at youthpastortheologian.com or find us on social media at Youth Theologian. I'm your host, Mike McGarry. Thanks for joining us for this conversation about practicing theology and youth ministry. Hey, welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. We're joined today by Dean and Sarah. Dean is the founding pastor of City Church and is passionate about reaching the city of Tallahassee with the gospel see a uh, worldwide impact made for Jesus. He's married to Chrissy. They have two sons, Tommy, Ty, and one daughter, Sally Ashlyn. Dean, thanks so much for joining us on this episode.
1: Hey, it's great to be at the Youth Pastor Theologians. I appreciate that title and and youth and student ministers who are serious about theology and serious about mission. So let's go.
0: Yeah, awesome. So today we're going to be talking about your new book, Pure. And I'm really excited to dig into talking about how do we talk about sexual purity, and uh, especially as, at least as of when we're recording this, is still in the midst of Pride Month. And te- uh, youth pastors need to be uh, comfortable talking about sexuality and their ministries, if you avoid it, um, then you're really just not discipling students well and engaging a lot of the questions and issues that our our kids are hearing about and wrestling with all the time. So I think this is going to be a really helpful conversation. But before we jump into that, I want to get to know Dean a little bit better. So Dean, I know... let's
1: roll. Let's rock and roll.
0: You you and I both uh, kneel at the throne of the goats, Tom... (laughs) Edward Brady Jr., the greatest uh,
1: athlete in the history of team sports,
0: a and a And we just lost 90% of our listeners, <laughs> but I don't care. It's worth the sacrifice. Um, so, uh, w- what do you love so much about Tom Brady? Then we'll talk a little bit about, uh, your favorite athlete as a teenager, Tom Brady. Why is he so amazing?
1: Well, I, I love the quarterback position in general. I yep. just think that's kind of the the ultimate position in sports is the quarterback, Amen. and I, his uh, just I mean, obviously the skill sets there, but his competitiveness, uh, his preparation, just the you just look at his eyes down in the fourth quarter, you know, with two minutes left, and you are like, they're going to win. <laughs> you know, like I wish he was still with the Patriots, sadly, but uh-huh. uh, but the Bucks are going to win. But yeah, just the whole package, man. Just the, the leadership, the the competitiveness, the uh, high expectations of those around him. Uh, just mm-hmm. that killer instinct. And again, I said, when I say athlete, I don't mean the most athletic ability. He's not, he's not fast, you know, none of those kind of things, <laughs> but, but just everything Definitely else, not you, fast. all they call it makeup, all the makeup yeah. you want in someone. I, uh, from a, from a just simply secular athletic perspective, you know, he, mm-hmm. he is the epitome of those things. So one yeah. more, you hope maybe one more year, 45 years old. Let's see it.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Um, so yeah, one of the things I love about Tom is he makes everyone around him better. Oh, yeah. And this is why I struggle with basketball, um, because it's just such a superstar sport that one guy can carry the entire team. Football's a lot like that. You can have a great quarterback and have a mediocre team. I'm looking at you, Aaron Rodgers, right? Like, you, you got to be a leader. Yeah. You got to elevate those around you. And I think he does that so, so well. Oh, yeah. And
1: with the Patriots outside of Gronk and a year and a half of Randy Moss, he took three average players and made them great.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. Amen. All right. Hey, so as a teenager, right, thinking back, uh, who was your favorite athlete uh, back in those days? And why? What did you admire so much about them?
1: So this is gonna be probably a very unpopular answer, but my favorite athlete as a teenager was Reggie Miller.
0: Indiana Reggie Pacers,
1: Miller. man. All I'll right, talk about, I just right loved, after I
0: doggone on basketball, huh? Yeah,
1: well, th- that's what was different then. The game's changed, but it has, yeah, uh, if it wasn't for you know Michael Jordan, you know Reggie would have some rings. But uh, mm-hmm. it just uh, w- the rivalry with the Knicks, I loved his shooting ability, uh, his just his swagger. Oh my gosh, I love Reggie Miller. And then another one would be, which is totally opposite, Reggie Miller uh, would be Joe Montana. Uh, oh, my I grandpa loved Joe, loved Joe Montana, except from the same town. Monongahela, Pennsylvania. So my grandpa had a big influence on me, especially sports-wise. So he loved Joe Montana. Uh, When Montana went to the Chiefs, which is very strange, after his 49ers career, my grandpa put my brother and I in the car and we drove to the mall to go buy Kansas City Chief hats. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> like immediately yep. and I, mm-hmm. I don't like to choose but for that was my moment I did so yeah those would be kind of again two very opposite styles and players in terms of that their demeanor yeah. but Reggie Miller and, and Joe Montana were, were my guys and as a kid I know you didn't ask this but as a kid it was definitely Larry Bird oh dude like before my teenage yeah. years yeah, yeah. When I was like in elementary school it was definitely Larry Bird
0: yeah so uh, I, I'm in the Boston area grew up here and yeah it was it was bird time all the time oh, yeah. growing definitely. up and what people fail to remember is that for uh, so i'm i'm 42 and um for my entire childhood and teen years the patriots were horrible like they were they were just bad all the time so every patriots fan had a second football team that you also liked and i adored joe montana and he oh, yeah. was my he was my hero so um, I know this is an audio podcast, but in my background, I got some Funko Pops over here. I got a, a Tom Brady Funko Pop who has the place of honor on my desk. In my other sports, Funko is Joe Montana. So yeah, Excellent my, my heroes represented. So um, hey, so I, I have a feeling like you and I could talk Boston sports and other sports stars. <laughs> we'll spare the listeners. They're yeah, like, oh my We'll spare word. the listeners who we've already lost. <laughs> I wonder like, how many right. fast forwarded. <laughs> yeah, probably a few. So um, you wrote this book uh, a sexu- uh, about uh, purity. Uh, it's got a great subtitle. So uh, Pure, Why the Bible's Plan for Sexuality Isn't Outdated, Irrelevant, or Oppressive. Uh, so where did, that, where did that title and that subtitle come from? And what led you to, to write this book?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, pure, I think it's a biblical idea, and biblical concept. It's not a word that we should be scared of or, or shy away from. And then the subtitle really is a response to the reaction of what's happening right now in a lot of, sadly, Christian culture. Like, we yeah. expect secular culture to push back against Christian sexual ethics. I mean, of course, there are, these people aren't believers, right? I mean, it's that simple. Of course, they're not going to receive uh, what the Bible teaches or they're going to reject God's design. But I'm seeing, sadly, a lot of Christians who are wavering on these things. And a lot of it mm-hmm. dates back to what people refer to as purity culture. Uh, kind of the youth ministry culture of the 90s. We didn't call it purity culture then. It's being called that in retrospect. Uh, But it was really the True Love Waits movement, Josh Harris, I kiss dating goodbye, uh, where you were told to uh, really encourage and pushed and even pressured uh, to sign a card saying that you would save yourself for your future mate, as was the language they used. And uh, that came with uh, oftentimes uh, rings that you could buy, like a purity ring, and the idea yeah. was that on your honeymoon, you'd give the ring to your then wife or husband as sort of like, I've been waiting for you kind of idea. Uh, and uh, so there's a lot of negative that came with that. And, and the, looking back, and there's a lot of stigma around it. So we're seeing now our Christians that don't even like any conversation about that, th- those ideas. Uh, so I wanted to write a book to say, okay, let's say that everything you claim about purity culture is true, just for the sake of argument. Even though I do mm. think there were some valuable things from that time, right? Does that change the fact that God has a clear design in the Scriptures for marriage and sexuality? And the answer is, doesn't it doesn't change it one inch? <laughs> you know, yeah. some missteps by well-intended Christians a generation ago uh, does not mean that God's Word changes. So I want to help people all, uh, see that God's design is as clear in the Bible as any other truth you hold to. His design yeah. is as clear as the resurrection. <laughs> I mean, it's that yeah. clear, you know, right. in, in, in the scriptures. And I want uh, to hope that to help uh, people uh, not just regain confidence in it, but be clear and see how it plays out in different elements of our world. So I have chapters on anything from adultery to cohabitation to pornography to homosexuality to hookup culture, kind of all the above of helping us think through these things as Christians.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really great. So I, I love the way you laid out the book. uh was section one. Talking about that, that purity culture, um, right? Chapter one on purity culture and true love waits. Uh, two on purity culture and I kiss dating goodbye, uh, and then on the the counter swing to it's just sex. Uh, so thinking about kind of where we've been in youth ministry because this is a a podcast directed for youth and student ministry workers. Um, so in in the purity culture of of the nineties. Now I know most youth pastors. <laughs> Um, were not in youth group during the 90s. Um, I know myself and a few other youth ministry dinosaurs like myself are still hanging around in uh, the 40-year-old youth pastor. Um, but most weren't around back then. But you, they've inher- inherited students whose parents were in youth group in the 90s. And I think the way this usually goes is uh, parents who are still in the church want their kids to experience... What they experienced as a teenager right so um kind of some of the trickle down from that 90s purity culture what was good about that um so i know it's it's really easy to dog on the purity culture and to criticize a lot in there but what what did it get right
1: yeah well i think anytime christians are calling other believers to god's design and to not engage in sexual immorality, I think that's a wonderful thing, right? So I think a lot of the treatment towards purity culture was unfair. But we'll get into some of the negative things that have lasting consequences, but the, I, I really think the the intentions were were pure as well. Uh, you know that, that the people that were behind it really did want to see a generation uh, that was not caving into all the things of a sexual revolution. So you mentioned how the current students in student ministry and youth ministry how their parents if they were involved in the church were probably a part of purity culture in the 90s will go another generation their parents were coming out of the 60s and 70s where sex yeah. was everywhere right and it was make love not war and you know it was just it was just sex was a just big part of a cultural rebellion uh, so mm-hmm. so the maybe you know, we got to give a little bit of grace here and we got to make sure we're fair when we look back on eras Maybe, and I think likely, a a lot of those people who became believers during that time didn't want their own children uh, to relive what they lived in the 60s and 70s growing up, where uh, sex was just everywhere, kind of that free love kind of idea that happened at the time. So, So there's usually reasons why things are the way they are, and I think we need to remember that with a little bit of grace.
0: Yeah, that pendulum. So that's that's an interesting pendulum swing. So the sixties and seventies is like free love, hippie generation, right? Yeah. And then in the eighties, I mean, I'm thinking about. Um, so I'm the youngest of four. Thinking about my older siblings, it's like you just don't talk about sex. Um, it's just not a conversation when they were growing up in the eighties. And then in the nineties, it was just you could talk about sex, but only if you're talking about not having it and about why it's evil and wrong and disgusting. Um, so it's just, it's interesting that pendulum swing, um, where do you see that pendulum swinging currently? My biggest fear right now
1: is that a generation is just shrinking back when it comes to God's design and is, uh, simply either ignoring it or rejecting it altogether, or maybe putting yeah. on, putting on what I call whatabouts onto it. They're trying to get yeah. caveats and disclaimers in different situations uh, so uh, I think that the, the lasting results of the True Love Waits movement kind of created two different things. Uh, one, well, one the, another positive is that like it had us as teenagers having to talk about sex, which was a good thing, right? right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. It, if it's done appropriately, it's a good thing, right? So, uh, so then from there, I, I think we've seen kind of two different sides take place. Uh, one is it created some Pharisees. You know, some people that really thought that since the, this mindset was that because all the True Love weights push was all in the context of your future spouse. That was like the whole motivation. Like, you don't want to be the one on your honeymoon who's had sex before and your spouse yeah. has waited and you don't want to be yeah. the one that ruins it. And, and that's just not yeah. the gospel, right? That's not how we understand yeah. Christianity. Uh, so people started thinking that they deserved a spouse who had remained completely, perfectly, sexually pure if they had done that. I mean, where do yeah. we find that in the scriptures, right? That kind of mindset. Just like, uh, So I mm. knew somebody in college who was dating a really great guy who loved Jesus. She loved Jesus. They had a healthy relationship. they was probably going to move towards engagement eventually. And they had a conversation where it was kind of like, hey, we've been dating her for a while. And they just kind of want to talk about, hey, here's my past. Here's some things you need to know. And he just confided to her that when he was 16— uh, he was, you know, dated a girl for a little while and they had wound up sleeping together a couple times, you know, back in high school uh, and uh, like in spring break or something like that. And she broke up with him because she its her business. They're not married. You don't have to stay together when you're dating, obviously. But yeah. the principles is there. She broke up with him because she had waited. Would you use true of yeah. weights language? She had waited. Yeah. So therefore, yeah. she deserves someone. And I'm just like, man, you can break up whether you want to. You're not bound by, to somebody when you're dating. But just yeah, that yeah. mindset was there. And the other yeah. side is just shame. Shame and mm-hmm. guilt. Where we saw people who thought maybe since they had already messed up that they weren't worthy uh, of of marrying someone uh, that was a Christian or had you know had uh, you right. know, lived by God's sexual ethics or they thought well I've already messed up I've already ruined it, it doesn't even matter now so what's the point so I can still yeah. do, it or do whatever I want to do you know mm-hmm. uh, because I've already messed up and it's just like where do we get those things from but when the whole conversation is in the context of a spouse that you don't even know yet, a hypothetical future spouse, rather than the focus being on God's design and God's glory and God's plan for this and how it's for our good, of course you're going to go that direction. It's inevitable, right? So I wish the Trillo Weights Movement instead would have really focused on God's design, His glory, why it matters, the gospel implications for this, what God's doing in this. And, and I think that now we're seeing instead, to really answer your question, to land the plane— Uh, We're seeing people that are letting the culture drive the conversation rather than the scriptures. And we're much more Mm -hmm. concerned about not coming across as unloving or legalistic or whatever it could be. And as a result, we're seeing people either just be silent on it. I'm seeing more of that, just be silent on it, or some just completely affirming altogether.
0: Yeah, so um, I guess one of my... Uh, one thing I, w- I want to just say is kudos to you for writing this book. Thanks. Because I know <laughs> whenever, I mean, I- I'm still a youth pastor, you know, so um, whenever a pastor writes a book about sexuality, it's a, it's a scary thing, right? Because you don't know how is this going to affect my ministry? How is one sentence that I wrote? Uh, going to be misunderstood and misapplied, and possibly get me canceled. Uh, are people in my actual congregation or our students in my real youth ministry going to hear or read something that I said, and then just walk away? Right. I mean, this is. I think this is something that we think about as pastors when it comes to publicly addressing sexuality um am I am I making this up is, is was this somewhat in the back of your head for how you how you pastorally wrote um this book
1: yeah I I made a joke with some friends as I was writing it. I said, well, I'm gonna find out who my friends are <laughs> you know kind of thing but yeah you know, but yeah but no but it's it, I, I honestly and this is not some kind of like please don't take this as some kind of false bravado or something like that but i, I I'm just not I'm not worried about it. I, yeah. I think this, I think this is so urgent, this topic. Um, yeah. and, I, and I hope this book gets in as many hands as possible, not because I think I'm some Pulitzer prize winner or because I'm looking for royalty checks, but uh, simply because this message need, needs to be heard because again, yeah. we're. I've seen it happen over and over again where people again are either being silent on it or they're starting to cave and cave and cave and we're just making excuses and disclaimers and oh, I have a friend, I have a brother or who are you to judge, um, or why does it matter? We're both, you know, we're in love, you know, whatever it could be yeah, yeah. And, and and the brokenness that's coming down the road as a result of this. And by this, I mean, anything from hookup culture to sex being expected, mm. you know, in dating uh, to delaying marriage as long as possible, not because you haven't met someone yet but because you want to instead, you know, just do all your life and bucket lists yeah. and all those kind of things. Uh, I, I the brokenness is coming down the road because the church is going to be prepared for. Because if we're going to be faithful uh, to really gospel mission, uh, we're going to have to be ready to receive people who are, are casualties uh, of of the sexual revolution. So we just had to talk about this. And, yeah, I, I know it's going to make me a little unpopular. I mean, I have a chapter in the book on, on homosexuality. You know, I have um, a chapter in the book on on singleness. And, and so, so yeah. I mean, there's going to be certain things that probably— you know, maybe push people's buttons a little bit, but, but I'm willing to do that for us to actually honestly talk about it. I didn't need to write a book on sexuality. It was going to kind of tiptoe around the issues and you know, we got to go direct yeah. and do it. So yeah. So I, I would encourage the youth pastors out there listen to this. Like we have to talk about this and not just like some special once a year Valentine's day series. I mean, like it has to be part of the oh, regular yeah. conversation <laughs> yeah. with, and that's great too, but like Valentine's
0: well, day or pre-prom. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. but it's gotta be part of the regular conversation yep. and discipleship groups in examples you give when talking about brokenness and yep. God's design and, and, and sin and repentance. And that needs to be, that needs to come up. And so yeah. th- th- this is a much bigger issue right now than teens drinking. Okay. Like I promise you, <laughs> it's a much bigger deal, like on the important mm-hmm. scale. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. I really would encourage you to engage in that as much as you can in terms yeah. of the conversation.
0: Agreed. Agreed. So, um, i I love section two, so where you talk about seven um seven lies right so lie one sex is expected lie two marriage is a capstone, not a cornerstone uh you, you talk about porn is the norm, gay is okay, my bedroom is my business, nobody has to know, and finally cohabitation just makes sense of those seven lies when you think about um youth workers, about the, the real lives of, of teenagers. Um, what of those lies uh, could you just reflect on and, and maybe give some encouragement to youth workers who are struggling with how to address and correct some of these lies in a way that's not polemic, that's not just argumentative, that's not fighting the culture war, but that's just a, as, a, as a faithful, gospel-centered youth worker Ah, uh, trying to to bring truth and light to bear in these sexual lies. Yeah, and I hope we signed
1: up for ministry not to be Theo Bros or to be people who find something wrong in every you know. Yeah. In our our life goal is to spend you know seven years in a three chapter book of the Bible. Or you know, I hope we signed up for this because we want to be shepherds, right? We want to make yeah. disciples. So Amen. this conversation is our moment. Like it is what we signed up for. Uh, so yeah. the lies that come to mind immediately based on student ministry, youth ministry would be the porn's the norm, or they have iPhones now. It used to be you had yeah. to go, you had to have an older brother who had something, or maybe your dad secretly had something you found, he didn't know you found, or you'd have to go into Seven Eleven and or, or to a gas station and, and ask for, you know, and you had to be old enough to get the magazine, all those kind of things. Now, you just have your phone. And you can even have the best filters on the phone and they still know how to get around it because they're more tech savvy than their parents are. <laughs> right? yep. uh, so yep. that's a big conversation. I mean, Jesus said that if we look at a woman lustfully, we've created adultery in our hearts. This is a really big deal, uh, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of the pornography conversation. And uh, then also it's going to be addictive to people. And that's a really big deal as well. Uh, the other one is that gay is okay. I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges of, of ministry with this generation is that they have just been fully bombarded. And who wants to be known as a bigot? You know, no one wants to be known. I don't be known as a bigot. But they're told, like, nonstop. I mean, my son's school, they have pride celebrations. Right? I mean, like, like full celebrations. And they had a a, pride spirit week, you know, where you dressed up every day, but in a certain way, like, to celebrate it. And, like, they had, like, wear your favorite this day in honor of pride. So he came home. He's like, what in the world do I do? I said, you don't participate. You know, I said, yeah. I said, you're still going to be people's friends and but you're not going to just don't participate. And he got that. And that was helpful. And our student minister, youth pastor, got involved and decided yeah. to do a sermon series at that exact same time about holding the line, what that looks like. Uh, and then uh, that, that's a big one. And I think also that no one's going to find out, you know, no one's going to know uh, some mm-hmm. of our secret sexual sins, you know, that can be linked to pornography as well. Uh, but like if yeah. you and your girlfriend you and your boyfriend, you know, are just are, are you know, doing these things, no one has to know about it. Uh, but just that goes back to the theological conversation of the fact that God knows. Right. And does that matter to you? Like, what, what's the old uh, tozer line? The most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so our doctrine of God is the issue when we go, oh, no one's going to know. You're rather than being more concerned yeah. that God already does and he does see and he does know. So, so, yeah. uh, so I even think those conversations about God's sovereignty and his omnipresence and th- that all those things are important and actually are part of this conversation uh, theologically. Yeah. Because again, our theology, we want to have feet to it, right? We want to be able to be worked out. Uh, so these right. are ways that happens. But I think those are the things that i to be talking about. But the biggest thing I'm concerned about, and uh, I know this sounds so, like, stereotypical evangelical conservative here, but, like, the thing, the thing I'm the most concerned about right now is the gay is okay conversation. I mean, I just yeah. see a generation just bailing on that completely uh, out of just cultural pressure, out of just emotions, uh, yeah. out of just relationships. And I understand that, how that's complicated, right? I, I get that. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's my friend. It's my brother. It's my I, I, okay. I, I'm not trying to make it like this easy kind of idea, but I think this we're going to start seeing in America for maybe the first time corporately what it looks like when Jesus said, "If you love your family more than me, you can't be my disciple." You know, if you don't pick up your cross oh, okay. and follow me, yeah. I, I think we're going to start seeing that. Uh, really, again, yeah. okay, we, we we know that verse, but a lot yeah. of us in the United States have never had to really live that verse.
0: All right, and, tell, and, tell me, tell me more about that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, how most people. Uh, that I see that I'm talking about believers here, okay? I'm talking about like believers that have started to abandon when it comes to what the scriptures say about homosexuality, it's linked to relationship. And it's often why I have a friend or I have a sibling or, you know, we'll see parents that have a, have an adult son or daughter who has come out, whatever you want to call it. And Mm -hmm. as a result of that, they are kind of like outraged at first and then went, oh no, I don't want to lose my son. I got to affirm, I got to bless it. You know, th- th- those type of ideas. And, and rather than, I mean, again, I know it's easier said than done, but that's why Jesus said, if you don't pick up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. And I think a lot of times as Americans, we've we had to really face that, you know, like, like kind of like suburban, comfortable Christian life uh, where your faith being challenged just means like you're 17 and they tempt you to drink at the party. I mean, that's kind of like what it looks like to have your faith challenged often. Uh, yeah. But now it's going to mean I haven't actually choose. Like, are we willing to choose God over even someone like our own family member. And now we have brothers and sisters around the world that have had to make that decision many times, not about sexuality, but just about the faith in general. Uh, yeah. You know, but, but I think we're going to see that start to happen. But youth pastors, pastors have to be ready to disciple, not just students, but parents through those kind of yeah. conversations. And there's yeah. a, there's an all out war. And I'm not trying to use culture war language. I mean, like spiritual war, yeah. you know, on yeah. the hearts and minds of this generation to abandon what God has so clearly given us. I mean, let's be honest, man. Like, the Bible calls it an abomination, right? There's no nuance there, right? In Romans chapter one, Paul could have given any example he wanted, right on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, about what rebellion against God looks like. So he's making the case that we're all guilty, right? They were all rebelling against the creator. Could have given any example he wanted. What does he say? Men had relationships with men and women had relationships with women. Like it's an, on, it's an onslaught against the creative word. So yeah. so again, that is when we throw stones at people. It just means we're clear and we're compassionate. Like we, we, we really do. And that's going to be hard because you're automatically declared someone who isn't compassionate just on having the view that you have. Uh, right. So we got to help yeah. people think through hey, look, this is, we're not the first Christians to have to wrestle with a big issue. And this is what, what it's going to be for us. But what we can't wrestle with is the fact that God's clear on this. There's nothing mm-hmm. to wrestle with there. What we need to wrestle with is now how this plays out into our ministry, to our conversations, our relationships, and our lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really costly conversation. Yeah. Um oh, yeah. and it's an important one that we need to have. Um but I mean, I just know as a youth pastor, I mean, I've been equated as a slave trader, um that I'm the same thing as a slave trader uh, according to some students who have had conversations with about um LGBTQ issues and yeah. for not being affirming, um that gender identity, sexual identity um is the new civil rights movement. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that means that those who are not affirming are the same complicit guilt as the slave traders yeah. with a chattel slavery. And, and I mean, I, I've flat up had students tell me this and then never, resp- never respond to my text messages and leave the ministry after that. Um, these are students who, yeah. and these are students who have been baptized. I mean, these are kids sure. who've who've made professions of faith, and it's really difficult and it's really complicated. Um, so it, it's a heavy, um, it's a heavy conversation that that gnaws at your heart and at your soul as a pastor, because you really do care for these kids. Oh yeah, but because you care for them, you. you you, you speak the truth with love, um, but you cannot compromise on what God's word says. So
1: and that's yeah, why I it, think it, will, it big, will be costly. Yeah. And I, I think a big picture, biblical theology, holistic approach to the conversation needs to happen. Yeah. And we're like, we're seeing how God's design is part of the big story of the scriptures. Now it weaves out through the entire biblical narrative. Right. So I, so yeah. I think rather maybe than just do it. Again, I do think it's helpful to have certain sermons that are geared around it, but at the same time, I I think we need to learn how it fits into the big picture. Like this marriage institution is the visible portrait God's given us to show Mm -hmm. us the the invisible reality of the union of Christ and the church. I mean, so it really does matter. And so, so I think it'd be helpful too, just to help students really learn through how this all fits together and how it's not just a random rule God has given us, but it's a big part of his story that he's given us for us. So I, uh, yeah. And I want to make it, make it known. Like I'm, I'm feeling the same, you know, pressures and pains and, uh, that, that that everybody is, you know, where people, either yeah. you leave your church over these issues or think that you hate them because uh, if you don't accept this, you don't accept me. And that's like, well, is right. that what I'm saying. But, and yeah. also it's tricky because right now the word love is in the eye of the beholder. Right. You know, so like, so you can even say you're being, I'm trying to love you. Well, I don't feel love. It's like, well, so, so it's a long game in other words. And so be prepared to be a little brokenhearted, be prepared to be yeah. unfairly accused, of being a certain way, but just, I, we got to stay the course. Like this honestly is what we signed up for. And this sort of mm-hmm. suburban fun and games, youth ministry life, which isn't a bad thing. I yeah. love fun and games. Um, is, is going to be really challenged now. If you don't go by certain marching orders, even the most like evangelical churches, yeah. we're seeing a generation really, really struggle with this. And as a result, their parents don't know what to do. And then they're starting to cave as well. So we just have got to, mm-hmm. we got to stand, we got to stand our ground.
0: Yeah. I, Totally agree. Yeah. Um. But one of the things I I really appreciate about your book, um, and true confession, I, I have not yet finished reading your book, but I good have read. Good grief! Good I, mercy! I, I know what. A, all right, podcast interview over. Well, thanks. <laughs> uh, but I have read excerpts. Um, I, I, I've I've flipped through it. Um, and I, I have read enough of it to say that this is a really good book that's going to serve youth workers well. And one of the things that is one of my hobby horses when it has to do with talking about purity is this whole. Um, it, er, in one of the earlier chapters, you talk about the True Love Waits Pledge uh, and how it talks about purity until marriage. It's like, okay, so once you become married, then purity is now irrelevant. Like, well, let's talk about purity after marriage and during marriage or purity yeah. during lifelong singleness like so could you talk to us a little bit about why so much obsession with purity until marriage but not afterwards like yeah what is a better biblical gospel definition and understanding of what purity really is rather than just Demeaning it to purity till marriage.
1: Yeah, well, it's one design for all people. Yeah. Okay, so God's design for me as a heterosexual married man is the exact same it is for a heterosexual single ma- single man, a same sex attracted struggles single man, uh, as as it is a fifteen year old. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that is that God is designed sex to be in the context of marriage. And he defines marriage to be between a man and a woman till death do them part, a husband and a wife. This one flesh union was part of the creation narrative. Now the one flesh union is more than sex, but it's definitely not less than that. And that, you that union is the storyline of the whole scriptures. Like that one flesh union is what marriage is supposed to be based on. Uh, So that means for me, like the same exact purity, uh, calls from the scriptures that I w- that I w- was hearing when I was 16 years old, sit in a high school gym at our True Love weights rally. You know, my mind we might not have liked how it went down. Is the exact same purity standard I have as a 41 year old man who's married today. Like that hasn't changed mm-hmm. at all. So I think either we right. take it for granted, or we uh, just almost think that marriage is like the end game, like the finish line. Yeah. Uh, when yep. really marriage is is what you build your life from. So so I yeah. think that we need to make sure that that we're just as clear about the temptations and about God's design. Again, it's the exact same design for all people. So the standard for me is no different than the standard for a homosexual woman, you know, who has a partner right now. And that same standard is that's not God's design for her. God's design for her is marriage. And marriage is for her, she's going to be married to be to a a man as her husband and any sexual impurity. The Bible tells us to flee sexual immorality. That's a call to all people, like, flee it. And, and right before that, he tells the Corinthians, uh, when he calls them out about their sleeping with prostitutes, he doesn't give them a lecture about why prostitution is wrong. Instead, he says, don't you know that when you lie with her, you become one flesh with her? He said, you're taking God's design in a place where he never designed it to be. You're doing permanent things with temporary people. And that mm-hmm. that is a massive issue, and that applies to everyone across the board. But the bigger picture is, it's pointing something more than ourselves. It's pointing us to the union we have with Christ, where He is the groom. We are the bride. We're united with Him. And that's why these things aren't about rules. It really is about Christ and about God's glory yeah. and about the gospel.
0: Yeah. Amen. That's so good. So for for students... And honestly, for youth workers who are listening, um, who struggle with their impurity, Um, maybe um, they've they've sinned. Uh, Maybe they're currently living in sin. Uh, Maybe they still have regrets and guilt and shame over uh, their sexual sin um, in the past, or maybe they are, um, you know, recipients of abuse uh, in in various forms, um, and they just feel broken. Um, and they feel ashamed, and they feel very, very impure. Uh, what, what does the gospel have to say to them?
1: The gospel message, I think, about the book of Hebrews, I think would begin by saying, why are you ashamed of you when God's not ashamed of you? Right? Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. How incredible yeah. is that, right? And I think we can really believe that. Like, God, like There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Even if someone has done a condemnable act against you and it makes you feel like that, there's no condemnation for those who are Christ. Why? Because Jesus has been condemned in our place. So I love as Romans 8 flows out, we get to verse 31. What should we say about all this? God's for us. Who can be against us? He did not forsake his own son. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And I think we have to really believe that. And also if you have fallen here, uh, that one, we're really thankful that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's a verse written to believers. It's actually not an evangelistic verse, yeah. which is I, when I first learned that you know, early on in, in, in theology training, uh, that was a surprise to me. I didn't know that. Uh, so that's, that was a great thing to hear and understand. Yeah, of course, it applies to believers, too. If they confess their sins and yeah, trust in yeah. Christ yeah. or unbelievers, he's going to save them. Uh, but that is, is a great truth for us to know. Uh, and now I think we're to recover and pursue God's design. So now like live your life going after it, like chasing it and, and being involved in it, being a part of it, and actually doing things as if God intended, as God intended them to be. So yes, there's the repentance element, yes, there's the confession, there's the receiving grace. At the same time, now go recover and pursue. And, and God has his design still for you.
0: Yeah, that's a good word. Um, l- last question here is, uh, not just as a, a pastor or a theologian, but as a dad. Um, how has this book helped you, uh, rethink the way you talk about sexuality with your own kids, um, and with, um, your kids' friends, with the students in your, in your church? Um, how, how has this helped you as a dad better articulate, uh, sexuality and, and purity?
1: Well, one, I think it's, it's going to sound really simple, but I, they need to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell parents to be you. if you're wondering if I should talk about it yet, yeah, you're probably too late. Not in might say too late. I don't mean that you, like you've run out of time. Yeah. I mean like it's as in it's past due yeah. is what I mean by that. Uh, so I think we even have to have those conversations age appropriately earlier mm-hmm. uh, because the conversation and the culture is happening earlier. Yeah. So I think that, that that needs to be taking place. And then I also want my kids to understand that uh, the things that the world is telling them as normal actually aren't in God's eyes. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're very clear about those kind of things. Like you're supposed to not think that's okay. You're supposed yeah. to think that's different. You're like, and so that's, that's where I, I mean, one of my kids is about to about be 16 in a month. So we're, we're really talking about it all. I mean, yeah. I like really haven't had have conversations. And, and, and I think also a, a culture in our house where we're women are highly elified in terms of elified That's I speak English here, elevated. <laughs> I made up a word in terms of dignity. Yeah. Uh, so, so in our house, like how my boys treat their mother, how they treat their sister is a really big deal. Yeah. You know, I want them to be seen, like the need to respect women and 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 to to learn that now. If you ask my boys what's the number one rule in our house, they'll tell you how to respect my mom. Yep. You know. So so that's a big part of it too. But the books just, just made it all the more uh, all the more clear. Like my son's already read it. My oldest. Yeah. Like I want like I, yeah, yeah. I I I write these books for the church first of all, like for our church, my local yeah. church. He's a part of it. He's part of my, I mean, so um, that's that's kind of how it's been. Kind yeah. of functions for me out of the gate since it's
0: been released. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So, uh, as we as we wrap up, do you have any final words or uh, yeah. other recommendations or resources or yeah. uh, admonitions?
1: I would just make a plea for everyone to be unashamed. You know, God has given this for His glory and for our good. Like, both isn't it amazing that Creator of the universe would include us in that? Like yeah. it's for His glory, but it's also for our good. And to mm-hmm. actually believe that and live in that. Uh, and, and, uh, Andrew Walker's book, Andrew's a good friend of mine. He's a professor at Southern seminary, his book on God and the transgender debate. That's obviously a big yeah. topic right now. We didn't yeah. get into that, but yeah. that's, uh, i would pick that up. He also wrote very pastorally. Um, and then, uh, Kevin DeYoung's book on what the Bible says about, about homosexuality is really helpful. And then yeah. I hope my book, my I hope my book is kind of like a big picture, cover all the bases of all the things that are out there, yeah. you know, kind of idea.
0: So what would be strong trifecta?
1: Yeah. It's not specific about homosexuality. It's not specific yeah. about transgenders. It's all of it, you know, so yeah. I hope that that could be helpful. And I wrote it for like regular folks. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. So, uh, I, I basically call it, it's like sexual ethics for normal people. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I didn't write it from a, you know, academic standpoint. Yeah. It's very like approachable, re- very real life practical. Yeah. yeah that's who I am. You yeah. know, so yeah. 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 I appreciate it, man. It's been, it's yeah. been cool to talk about this. Thing. It's important.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. well, Dean, thanks for, thanks for writing the book, Pure. Uh, Thanks for your ministry and for joining us on this episode of the Youth Pastor Theologian. We will see you next week.